Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Friday edition of Pro Football Talk Live on Peacock, Sirius XM 211, the re-air on NBCSN at 9 a.m. Eastern. So hello to you if you are joining us then, two hours into the future. I always feel weird when I say that. It's like time travel, but not really. Sky Sports, UK and Ireland, 7 o'clock local time. Peter King joining me this morning. The morning after a game that was, I don't I don't know. I had no expectations, right? I If we'd have taken... Last night's game, everything about last night's game and made it Monday night's game between the Chiefs and the Ravens, we would have said that was awesome, right? <laughs> but because it's the Jets and the Broncos, <laughs> Peter, it was so hard to get excited about anything that was happening, even though it was actually a pretty exciting game. Well, the problem with that game last night is that a lot of it was exciting because it was like a clown car. I, I, I mean, honestly... You know, how many more penalties can the Jets commit uh, that'll hand Denver real chances? That's what, to me, was so really weird about that game last night. So much happened. So many opportunities happened out of terrible plays. The the bizarre Pierre Desir uh, bounced off his face mask touchdown to Jerry Judy, and then... Pierre Desir making one of the greatest interceptions that you're ever going to see. And in that exact same quarter, Pierre Desir giving up four catches for 108 yards in one of the worst performances by a cornerback in one quarter in recent NFL history. I mean, I, you know, really, after you watch that game, you need about four shots of bourbon. <laughs> During also, I think, is uh, is advisable to have something along those lines. But, you know, look, the, the Jets, for all the criticism that they're not really trying, they were trying, and they seemed to be genuinely dejected when the game was over. There were shots of guys on the sidelines. They're upset that they lost. So these guys care. They're just not good enough. That's the problem, and that's the philosophical issue that I think the Jets' management has to deal with. How bad can you tolerate a team being during a rebuild? The Panthers are rebuilding. They're not horrible. The Jets are rebuilding, and they're horrible. And at some point, as I've said all week, if you're rebuilding, you still have to be able to live in the house, and the Jets aren't. And even though it was close, and even though nine points doesn't suggest how close it really was, and it came down to the end, and the Jets could have won it, and there were, you know, there was a, a comeback where the Jets were down, and they they had a couple of scores, and they took the lead. So you know, they didn't they didn't fold the tents, but they're zero and four, and I'm looking at the schedule, Peter, and I don't see any wins coming for the Jets anytime soon. They're going to be the underdogs in every game until week 11 when their bye arrives. If they go 0-10, and 
You know, I, I know Adam Gase, uh, contrary to some reporting from a radio host who isn't really a reporter, so it gives you cover when you report something that's wrong. Well, I'm not a reporter. I just said what I heard. Well, he heard he was getting fired if he lost. He ain't getting fired, but I don't see any wins. I don't see – I tell me a game, Peter. There's the schedule. Tell me a game that you look at and say, well, I think the Jets have a good chance to win that one. Maybe the Chargers? Maybe? Maybe. <clears throat> you know, here's the way I look at the Jets. You know, everything would be fine if they were playing pretty good football and being plucky and disciplined and all that stuff. That was a horrendously undisciplined football game last night by the New York Jets. And just keep this in mind. They're playing against a practice squad quarterback who essentially should never have been playing in this game and would never have been playing in this game if the two guys in front of him hadn't gotten hurt. Uh, and so you've got that part of it. And they're playing against, you know, the New York Jets are supposed to have their franchise quarterback. And, you know, look, that was a valiant effort by Sam Darnold in some ways. And he's playing with probably practice squad receivers too. But the Jets' defense, Mike, you know, 37 points. That weird bounce-off Melvin Gordon touchdown basically to clinch the game? I, I don't know. You, you have to tell me. Is that, is that a team that is representative of a team that looks like it's improving in any way, shape, or form? Sure doesn't look like it to me. And, and Peter, because it's the defense that, that is committing these fouls and causing these problems— you know, to the extent that there is any sort of contemplation of making an in-season coach, coaching change, how do you justify making Greg Williams the defensive coordinator, the interim head coach? That, that may save Gase for the year in and of itself. Who do you give the whistle to if you tell Adam Gase this just isn't working? The only way you justify it is you say, essentially, well, Adam Gase was 5-3 and three as an interim coach. It's like I was telling somebody yesterday, it's like damning with faint praise. He was five and three as an interim coach, and he's, you know, he can make something out of chaos. And Mike, I don't care how bad the defense is playing right now. I just I don't think that that team is responding to Adam Gase at all. And I don't disagree with that. And that's what's unfortunate, and that's what's going to potentially short circuit the effort to rebuild the team he inherited a team that did not have a good roster Mike McCagnan was building the team from the outside in instead of the inside out Joe Douglas has flipped it around and is trying to build from the inside out for example you don't go out and spend 13 and a half million per year on a running back when you otherwise don't have an offense to let the running back do what the running back is being paid to do and as Sims said yesterday, in only the way that Chris Sims can, Christian Hackenberg, one of the worst second-round picks of all time, Sims claims he can throw better with his other hand than Christian Hackenberg ever could throw with his good <laughs> hand. And, 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 and this is what, you know, maybe Gase just shouldn't have taken the job. You know, maybe instead of rebounding after getting fired by the Dolphins, he just should have said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pick my next spot a little more carefully. But the bottom line is you have to be – competitive in a rebuild you can't just shut it down you can't just suck and they're they're lucky that they don't have to worry about fans showing up or not showing up for their games but who's watching the games i've seen that the ratings for the jets in new york have been abysmal and i i, I can see why i mean even the teams that rebuild are, are there's a sense they're trying. There's a sense they're doing their best. And maybe these guys are doing their best, but it just there, there's something that's missing between this team and other teams I've seen that are acknowledged to be in rebuilding mode, Peter. And maybe it is they're just not responding to the coach. And if that's the case, he'd better fix it soon or it really isn't sustainable. If they go 0-10 into the bye week, how do you justify not making it? How do you, how do you do it? How can you do it? How can you tell anyone 
who gives a crap about New York Jets football, we're just going to go ahead and ride this out for the final six games and and hope that we get lucky and win one. Mike, um, you know, there there will be talk soon. There already is talk show talk in New York about, okay, who's the next coach? And I would just ask you, let's say you name a coach right now, Robert Sala, you know, Eric Bieniemy. You name who I, I, I don't know who the hot coach is going to be this coming off season. All right. But I believe that if, if a promising hot coach has an option, you know, has maybe Jets and Falcons or Jets and, you know, wh- whoever, whoever it turns out to be, if they have an option, you got to look at a number of things. I would look at the cap situation. I'd be afraid of Atlanta. Um, you got to look at you got to look at everything, but you know if you were to take the Jets' job, you would have to have faith in two things above all else. Number one, Joe Douglas, because Joe Douglas is going to be there. He is a good personnel guy, and the Jets should just stand back and let Joe Douglas make these calls. That's number one. Number two, you know you have to really, really love Trevor Lawrence or some quarterback in this draft. Or you have to love Sam Darnold to the point that you will say, hey, let's get a couple of ones and trade down. We'll keep Sam Darnold. We'll use those ones to help the rebuild. So those are the things you have to love because I'm just telling you, there you know, there are so many things that are wrong with the New York Jets and both in personnel, ownership, everything that right now, if you have a choice, you have to seriously consider the other choice. And I know that there's a popular belief that Joe Douglas is safe. He signed the six-year contract. I get it. I understand it. But let's remember, when Mike McCagnan was fired, the first name that came up was Joe Douglas because the belief was that was Adam Gase's handpicked guy. So if Gase goes, I don't know that Douglas has the automatic security, especially if, Peter, Woody is back at some point in the next six months and Woody decides, I'm just going to hit the reset button and I'm going to start over and I'm going to tell my brother Christopher, thanks for everything, get the hell out. I've got this from here, which introduces a new set of dynamics that really haven't been discussed nationally the way that maybe they should. Woody may be back, and we don't know what Woody's going to do when he gets back. We do know what Sam Darnold did last night. I got to give him credit. I got to give him credit. He got slammed to the ground early. And I know Mike Pereira said on Twitter he didn't think that should draw a foul. I look at it more from the you know it when you see it, and we hear all the time about not throwing the quarterback to the ground. He got thrown to the ground. I was surprised that wasn't flagged, and it was obvious that he was banged up. But he came back and he played. He wasn't horrible, but he wasn't great. I mean, look, the guy who was the third overall pick in the draft, the guy they traded up three spots to get, should have been able to outdo Brett Rippon. Should have. With, with everything, yeah, all other things relatively equal. It's not like the Broncos have this murderer's row and here comes the undrafted guy from Boise State to, to complement a great lineup. All other things were relatively equal. Plenty of injuries for the Broncos. Sam Darnold should have been able to win that game. And, and you know, look, great. He came back. He had the great touchdown run before he got injured. 84 rushing yards, the most ever for a Jets quarterback in any game. I don't know whether that's good or whether that's bad. But uh, we had 54 more rushing yards than the next leading rusher on the team last night. But, you know, it's pass-fail. And when you lose, you fail. And, you know, Sam Darnold, for whatever reason, he hasn't become the guy that, that we remember, – remember, there was a time, 2016, 2017. Oh, he's the first overall pick in the draft. Oh, without, without question, he's the guy. He's going to yeah. be great. He's the can't-miss guy. And, and I've yet to see anything from him consistently – that makes me think that that this is a franchise quarterback that's going to be in the NFL for 15 years. You're right, Mike, but he made a couple of throws last night. Um, you know, and again, I keep coming back to, you have to figure out how in the world you are going to judge a quarterback when he's throwing to guys. And Mike, I, I have to tell you, you know, there's a couple of guys he's throwing to last night who I could, who, who, ardent absolute football fans fantasy football nerds matthew (laughs) barry has not heard of these guys they just showed up and put on jets uniforms and again you know so 
So you, you see some of the great plays that he made last night, and you say to yourself, well, the old Bill Walsh theory, I remember a long time ago, around 86 or 87, I'm doing a story of, on Bill Walsh in the old 49ers. No, this is about 90, because I was at Sports Illustrated. But I'm doing a story on Bill Walsh and how he drafts. And Bill Walsh had this saying inside his draft room. If I've seen a guy do it a couple of times, we can coach him to do it all the time. And that's why they drafted Charles Haley out of James Madison when everybody said, Charles Haley, he didn't even dominate at the 1AA level. Why are we picking this guy in the third round? There's a lot better players there. And Bill Walsh saw a couple of plays on video or on film that he loved out of Charles Haley. And he was right. So now you ask yourself this question. Do you have the faith in Sam Darnold to believe that when you see some of the incredibly good plays he makes, that you can train him to do it all the time? Or, you know, did you hear Troy Aikman last night? He was obsessing about this one play early on. I think it was the first quarter where he had the guy Cager, I think it was, open with a step on the corner and he was doing a crossing route and there was nothing but air in front of him. And he never threw the ball. And Aikman was really critical of, of, of Darnold for that. And I agree. There have been a lot of instances where he automatically is taking the check down or taking the easier throw. Those are the things you have to ask yourself. Can we coach him out of this? Or is this just a symptom of a guy who's never going to be great? Enough from us on Sam Darnold. Here is what Coach Adam Gase and Darnold himself had to say last night after the Jets' loss to the Denver Broncos. I mean, we called a ton of passes. We 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 were, we were not very effective in the run game, which we we got made one dimensional. And when that happens, then you know we're we're going to give up hints on the quarterback. We got to do a better job stepping up and picking up the blitzes when they when they did pressure with our backs and. We just didn't do a good enough job. Do you feel that the team made some progress tonight being in the game all the way to the end of the game as opposed to the first three games? I mean, we got to win games, man. That's, you know, I guess, yeah, it's better than getting blown out, but we got to win that game. Yeah, and look, I, I, I agree. They, they didn't embarrass themselves, but you could argue it's an embarrassment in and of itself to lose by nine points at home to a Broncos team that has none of its key players available to it. No Vaughn Miller, no Drew Locke, no Cortland Sutton, no Fant got injured during the game. They, they are just one injury after another, and I, we got to give the Broncos some credit for finding a way to show up and win the game on a short week. It would have been very easy for them to fold tents, right? Both teams could have mailed this one in traveling from Denver to New York City in a pandemic and it's a short week and we stink and it's not going to get any better and we got to deal with the Chiefs in our division. Ah, eh, who cares? So I, I got to give them credit. They've played hard. See, that's the difference. That's the difference. The Broncos have played hard. The Broncos have had chances. The Broncos haven't been blown off the field. Their ugliest game was Sunday's game against the Buccaneers and this is how they rebounded from it. And that's the difference. That, that's, that, that's, and I, you know, the Broncos aren't necessarily rebuilding. They're just waiting for guys to come back. But you have to find a way in the National Football League to be competitive no matter what the circumstances are, no matter who you're down to on the depth chart. And that gets back to our original point. It doesn't feel sustainable. I, I feel like Adam Gase has been dealt a bad hand, but sometimes you got to make it work even if your hand is, you know, high card seven of diamonds. You know, here's the other question, Mike, about the Jets. Why was Mekhi Becton in that game? I mean, really. I guess it was sort of marginal whether he should play or whether he shouldn't play. But then he plays for whatever, 15 snaps. I don't know how many he played. And you could see him on the bench. You know, when, when the Fox cameras or NFL Network cameras were looking at him like he was either in pain or about to cry. I mean, he, just, he looked terrible. And he, he looked he looked shoulder. unhappy. He looked pissed. Yeah, he looked Peter. unhappy. Yeah. 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 Like why but whatever exactly whatever it was. Saying. Why was I in this game? Whatever it was, whatever it was, there's a good chance, a good chance 
that Becton now has been set back. So when will he play? There might be your best offensive player through through the first month of the season, and now he might be out just like you know all the other guys on your team are out. So again, you know, look, how do you judge this? Really, how do you judge this fairly? The only thing I know is that I don't see a team responding to its head coach. That's the only thing that I see. Everything else, you know, who should be interim coach? I mean, who cares really if they make a change? You know, but it's one of those things. This isn't working. Let's try the best other possible option. And you mentioned that Greg Williams was 5-3 and three as an interim head coach a few years ago with the Cleveland Browns. Didn't get the job when the dust settled. The personal fouls last night created a problem both for the Jets when it comes to winning the game, but also after the game ended, Vic Fangio exited the field, quickly hustled his guys off, no handshakes, no conversation, no small talk, and it created a buzz on social media because the thinking was that, that he was deliberately snubbing Adam Gase because he was mad at Gase himself, and some people said, well, no, he's just being safe because we're in a pandemic. Well... Both Fangio and Gase addressed the situation after the game. Here's what they both had to say. Well, there just was a couple personal fouls there at the end, and our our sideline was getting uh, pissed off about it, and I just wanted to avoid any confrontation at the end of the game and having it get ugly there. So I tried to get our guys to leave quickly just to avoid anything happening there. I thought it was the prudent thing to do. I heard Vic yelling at his guys saying, get in, get in the locker room. So I, I I saw what was going on. Were you guys pissed off about something or was he pissed off about something? Well, like them running I think he was just trying to make sure we didn't have any kind of melee. You know, it's, it was getting heated. You know, melee is a word that doesn't get used nearly enough. I appreciate Adam Gase adding to the lexicon. And also, what about ruckus? You know, every how, uh, what about ruckus? Brouhaha. Uh, I, Brouhaha. I like, I like, I like a good that brouhaha. <laughs> Here's the other thing, too, Peter. Anytime that I say the phrase pissed off on this program, I always hesitate for a split second beforehand thinking I really shouldn't be saying it. But, you know, if we're going to use it in the press conference and the reporter's asking the question twice and it comes up, then I guess that's the green light. We can say pissed off when, whenever. We don't have to worry about somebody being pissed off if we say pissed off, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, I think um, our current level of uh, discourse in this country <laughs> where after the debate the other night uh, – a very respected commentator used the SH word uh, describing what the debate was. I think it's okay if you say pissed off, Mike. That's, that's, the, that's where we are in this country right now. Oh, a very unrespected football analyst has used the SH word on this program, <laughs> I think, once or twice. Not you, not me, somebody with blonde Would hair. Would he be who blonde and about 6'5"? <laughs> <laughs> yes, with the giant head and with the history of kicking mulch into his father's swimming pool. That yes, would be him. Yes, yes. <laughs> Christopher, <charge>. Christopher. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, and let's flip it around to Brett Rippon. You know, at one point last night, I think Troy Aikman was going to hand carve his Hall of Fame bust. That got derailed uh, <laughs> you know, eventually. But he did play pretty well. He wasn't horrible. He did. He did. You know, I handed to him, you know, because that couldn't have been an easy situation. Now, you know, the people who love Boise State will say, see, you know, he's played in a lot of games, some of them quite big. So it's not, the stage is not going to be too big for him. I'll tell you the one thing I really liked about him. You know, he had no fear of making that, like, the deep out throw to the, to, to the sideline. You know, and he's got a better arm. than He's this little slight guy, kind of. He's got a better arm than he, it looks like he should have. But, I mean, when you were throwing the ball away, and it was clear Brett Rippon was throwing the ball away in the second quarter, and you throw it right into the hands of Pierre Desir, uh, not a good look for people who are scouting your game and saying, hey, Let's make Brett Rippon our backup next year when the Broncos release him. So I, I don't know, Mike. You know, the crazy thing now is, what do the Broncos do? 
Do they play Brett Rippon next week? I guess they probably do. Or do they play Blake Bortles, who would be their 956th quarterback since Peyton Manning walked off campus? Yeah, they, they definitely have a vibe like the Cleveland Browns jersey that was in the window of that store in Cleveland for all those years with just name after name after name after name. And that's yeah, stabilized yeah. with Baker Mayfield. Who knows how long that's going to be the case. But that's what it's been since Peyton Manning. And Drew Locke is the answer. But the problem is Drew Locke can't stay healthy. He had the wrist injury last year that limited him to five games late in the season. Then he gets injured this <coughs> year early on. And, and you need to keep a good backup around. You need to have somebody who can come in and play if Drew Locke gets injured. And the jury's out on whether or not he's got the durability to be an NFL quarterback. And we know that there's a certain level of ability to avoid injury, whether it's innate to the way your body's constructed or whether you're just able to avoid contact, you've got to be able to be on the field if you want to be a franchise quarterback. The best quarterbacks are available week in and week out. And it could be Bortles. It could be Jeff Driscoll. He played, it was just like, well, wait, why is Jeff Driscoll in the game last night? I mean, he pops up for a little bit. And after the game, Vic Fangio did not commit to Brett Rippon. They've got a couple of extra days to figure out what they're going to do before their next game. So Broncos get the win, Jets get the loss, and really, even though multiple reports indicate they're not going to make a coaching change, I look at the next six games and I say, boy, if I'm Adam Gase, maybe maybe it's more punishment to be forced to stay than it is to be fired during this mini bye week because I don't see the clouds parting anytime soon for the New York Jets. But as we said earlier, if we had gotten last night's game on Monday night, we would have said that was a great game. If we get last night's game on Sunday between the Patriots and the Chiefs, we'll say that's a great game. We're going to get you ready for one of the great games of week four, Patriots-Chiefs, when PFT Live continues right after this. They've got you know, a great quarterback and pretty experienced offensive line, um, great play caller, you know, and good skill players. Uh, skill players are you know, hard to tackle. They're good, good uh, guys with the ball in their hands. Um, they can also get down the field and you know, a good route runner. So, you know, it just this creates some, um, you know, matchups. I mean, force the ball out quicker. You don't have to cover as long, but don't have much help. So just a trade off there like it always is. Bill Belichick talking about the challenge of the week, the challenge that one poor team must face every week, except when the Chiefs have their bye. How in the world do you stop the Kansas City offense, Peter? And, you know, this comes up especially, and I think most fascinatingly, when the Patriots and the Chiefs come together because Belichick has that history of creating something that confounds or at least slows down just enough the opposing offense so his offense can score at least one more point. And I think back to Super Bowl 36 all the time the masterful decision that really put Belichick on the map as a head coach to drop eight guys into coverage and and to to dare Mike Martz and the greatest show-offs on turf to throw the ball and throw the ball, and they never deviated from it and ran the ball instead. And the problem, And I've been thinking maybe you should just do that to the Chiefs. The problem is now that they have Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Andy Reid will say, fine, <laughs> but drop eight guys into coverage and, and try to tackle Clyde after he gains 15 yards. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things, if you're a student of history in this rivalry, you know, you saw Alex Smith and Kareem Hunt put up 42 points with Andy Reid in 2017 in Foxborough, first game of the year. One of the greatest scenes ever in, uh, in that Tom versus Time uh, documentary is Tom Brady in his car uh, Range Rover, whatever, with Giselle in the passenger seat. And she's trying to comfort him as they leave the stadium that night. And he's having none of it. He is like seething. He's, you, you can see the steam coming out of his ears. So there's that. And then the next year, theoretically, when, okay, we got, we got the new guy and we'll throw up all this stuff that'll confuse the new guy. And Mahomes wasn't perfect. He threw that bad interception right before halftime in that game, but he still put up 40 points. And then you get to the championship game, Mike, uh, in, uh, in Kansas City, and Belichick did a great job. The Patriots did a great job in the first half, but then it was like 
almost every time they touched the Kansas City touched the ball after that, they were going to score. So you get the feeling that there is this dam in front of the New England defense, and you hold it, hold it, hold it, but eventually the dam's going to burst. And I guess my question is, if you have to play a scoring contest with the Kansas City Chiefs, if this game is in the 30s, how will Cam Newton do? And more and particularly, what will he do? In the first three games, week one, 19 passes. Week two, 44 passes. Week three, 28 passes. I mean, that to me, that's good for the Patriots. Because if you're Steve Spagnolo, you're watching him this week and you're studying and you walk into Andy Reid's office and say, coach, I, I have no idea what these guys are going to do. But I think this is the game where Cam Newton's going to run a lot because I just think they say that our best chance is to put the ball in the hands of Cam Newton early and often. And when Chris Sims and I were talking about this yesterday, the point he made, and this is a good one, Peter, that the, the, the Chiefs, after just playing the Ravens on Monday night and forcing Lamar Jackson to try to throw and giving him opportunities to throw and him not capitalizing on the opportunities to throw, um, you know, do you see a similar defensive game plan from the Patriots? Will Cam Newton have to pivot? And... And can he do a better job than Lamar Jackson did of getting the ball down the field with his arm and not with his legs? And, you know, Cam Newton and Patrick Mahomes have never squared off before. And, and we know these guys pay attention to everything, even when they claim that they don't. And I think the harder they claim they don't, the more that they really do. But all the talk about Mahomes and Jackson, Mahomes and Jackson, the great rivalry. I mean, here's Cam Newton. He's new on the scene. He's never faced Mahomes before. The last time the Panthers and the Chiefs played was 2016 before Mahomes was drafted. So this has never happened. And I could see Cam Newton being more than a little bit upset that no one's talking about the potential for this great quarterback rivalry for as long as Newton's in New England and Patrick Mahomes. And yeah, Newton's a little bit older than Mahomes, five, six years. But, but still, this is an opportunity in a roundabout way for Newton to prove to everyone that he's as good, if not better, than Lamar Jackson when healthy. Because if he can do more against that same defense than Lamar Jackson did, you and I and everyone else is going to react to that game on Sunday and say, damn, maybe Cam Newton's as good as Lamar Jackson. We just have not seen much of it the past couple of years because he's been injured. I mean... If, if Cam Newton wants to feel that way, it certainly is his right. But I don't feel that way, <laughs> you know? I mean, for the last year and a half, Cam Newton has not been whole. He's had two significant surgeries. And he's started out this year very well. Now, I, don't, I still don't know exactly what Cam Newton is. The graphic that we just put up just showed that, in essence... The Patriots are going to use Cam Newton, obviously in a much different way than they use Tom Brady. But week to week, I don't know how they're going to use Cam Newton. That is the mystery, and that is what the Patriots have going for them right now. And Cam Newton has every opportunity to prove that he belongs in the discussion with the best quarterbacks, the five best quarterbacks in football. He has that chance. It is a golden chance with Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick. Golden chance, but it's a chance. It isn't reality. It hasn't happened yet. Let's see if it does. And one of the important things that I'm going to be paying attention to, especially if the Chiefs build a double-digit lead at some point, you know, we saw late in the game, Lamar Jackson seemed frustrated, seemed down. You know, the Patrick Mahomes default demeanor, no matter what the score is, he's like, let's go do it. Let's go get it done. We're down 10.7 minutes left in the Super Bowl. Let's go take it, right? And I think the more success you have coming from behind and coming from behind and coming from behind, the easier it is to have that, that kind of like, yeah, we've been here, we've done this. But with Lamar, I, I and you, you know, you rarely see the Ravens in that spot. And maybe that's one of the reasons why he seemed frustrated. But that's been one of the criticisms of Cam Newton. It's a roller coaster. When things are going well, when you get a lead early, everything's great. When you just feel like it's not your day, 
he has a hard time breaking out of that. And this is going to be, I think, the biggest test. Now, look, against the Seahawks, they were done, and they fought back into it, and they made an exciting game right down to the end. So that was positive. But that that may be another part of the test here as this Patriots team grows and develops with Cam Newton as the quarterback, dealing with the adversity of being behind in the second half and having faith that you can make it happen even if you feel like it's not going your way. And, Peter, you know, I feel – about this game, the same way I felt about the Seahawks game for the Patriots. If this was later in the year, I'd feel better about the Patriots. If they cross paths in the postseason, the Chiefs and the Patriots, I'll feel better about the Patriots. For now, I just feel like it's still too much of a work in progress to go toe-to-toe with this well-oiled machine that is the Kansas City Chiefs. Well, Mike, you brought it up. Um, Last year, an hour and 15 minutes after the Super Bowl, pre-COVID, uh, no mask. I walked into Andy Reid's coach's office at the uh, at Hard Rock Stadium, sat down with him for about 12 to 15 minutes. And one of the first things he said was, man, how about Patrick? And what everybody says, oh, well, big deal. Here's what he meant. You're down by 10 points with eight minutes to go. And if the game ended right then, because what I said to Andy, I said, Andy, you know, uh, if 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 that game continues on its path, my go to the week would have been Patrick Mahomes. You know, he didn't come through in the big moment through a couple of ugly picks, you know, and all that. But I said he willed his way to coming back in that game. And he comes to the sidelines and NFL Films captures it. And he says to Eric Bieniemy, hey, do we have time to run Wasp? And, and, and he, he's, he's excited, you could tell. He's interested. Biennemi asked Andy Reid, can we run two-jet chip wasp? You know, the play that Tyreek Hill ends up doing the very deep out, uh, and they go plus 40, they go 44-yard gain, and they win the game. But that's what I was watching for the other night, and that's what I did not see in Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson was down at the end of that game. You could see it. Now, maybe he wasn't down in his voice, but he sure was down in his body language. So, and, and, and look, when you were having a terrible day in the biggest game of your life and you have it in you when it's third and 14 to still be excited and still say, hey, we got this, don't worry. I mean, that is the trait of one of the great quarterbacks and that's the trait that Mahomes has. And it's only gotten stronger and stronger. You know, when you pull that victory out of the fire the way that they did, how does it not give you confidence? You're always going to be able to do it. And conversely, the defense knows your history. And they start feeling a little wobbly like, "Uh uh-oh, here it comes. And and that's, I think, the big difference right now between Patrick Mahomes and most other quarterbacks in the NFL. Here he is from earlier in the week talking about the experience facing these Bill Belichick defenses. Luckily for us, we've played them a good amount of times now, so we can see all the different types of stuff that they that they presented us and, and offenses like us. And so, uh, you know, there's going to be unscouted stuff. There's going to be stuff that he's going to throw out there. I mean, that's why he's one of the, the best coaches of all time. Uh, and so uh, we have to make sure that we are be able to make adjustments quickly and, and find ways to not have negative plays and have positive ones, even if it's unscouted. You know, the obsession when facing the Kansas City Chiefs, especially when it's the Patriots, has been take away Tyree Kill. That's what they did in the first half of that AFC Championship game a couple of years ago, a deep safety that shaded over to provide double coverage of Tyree Kill, neutralizing him. The problem is they got too many other guys now, Peter. They got Travis Kelsey. They've always had him, but the Clyde Edwards-Alaire dynamic is what changes this offense. And Andy Reid's patience and ability and willingness to use what's available, to take what he's being given, that's what sets him apart from other coaches who just get so frustrated that the thing they want to do isn't there. They still keep banging their head against the wall until it's there or until it blows up on them. The, the Chiefs have the ability and the coaching patience. And Eric Bieniemy is a big part of this too because he's the one calling the plays to know we just have to take what's available. And at some point, that big play is going to be available. And and that was something Patrick Mahomes told me going into 2019, that his next stage for his development is to be patient, to, to not get frustrated when that shot down the field isn't there and understand that there's going to be something shorter that may not be as sexy, but 
let's take what's there. And I think Edwards Alaire makes it even easier for Patrick Mahomes to settle for something that's available here instead of forcing what's down there. And you're screwed if you're the defense. You can't win. You can't beat them. You can't, you know, Belichick always says, take away what they do best. They do everything best. You can't take it all away. Well, consider this. You know, they've got the fastest wide receivers in the game. Uh, They have a great tight end who's either the best or second best tight end in the game. And they have a rising star running back. So Patrick Mahomes throws four touchdown passes the other day. Two of them are very typical. One is an all-out bomb to McCole Hardman, and one is a perfectly thrown timing route to uh, uh, to Tyreek Hill. The other two, a hunt, an underhand touchdown pass to his fullback in traffic, and the other one is a touchdown pass to his left tackle. So you go try to figure out what Andy Reid is going to do Sunday against New England. I have no clue, but... I know it's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. Both sides of the ball, because it may just be the only way you can beat the Chiefs is to outscore them because they're going to get their points. Peter, this is something I've been saying over and over again. It almost qualifies for a spot on the PFT bingo card. The Chiefs are that basketball team that's going to go on an 18 to 2 run. They will do it at some point. You need to accept it. You need to, going into the game, you need to accept the fact that at some point, It's going to get a little bit out of control. The question is, for the rest of the game, can you do enough to make up for the damage done by the Chiefs in that moment where it all falls together and you just can't stop them no matter what they do? So it should be a great game. We look forward to that. When we return, the Tennessee Titans and the Pittsburgh Steelers won't be playing at all this weekend. The ramifications, the complications, and the possibilities as the NFL looks for a spot to drop the rescheduled week four game between Pittsburgh and Tennessee. We'll talk about that when PFT Live continues. Happens. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Chase Claypool, not happy with the fact that they're not playing this weekend for a variety of reasons. A rookie dinner instead of a game this weekend? Yeah, Titans, I'm going to need a reimbursement from y'all. Look, I, I, I... Correct me if I'm wrong, and please feel feel free to call me Karen, Peter, for saying this. What the hell are they doing having a rookie dinner in a pandemic? I, I like there's this is the Raiders issue all over again. Like, what, where where's this disconnect coming from? That there's this nonchalance. Like, yeah, we're gonna go out and have a rookie dinner, and I know they're tested every day. I know. So are the I, so are the Titans, and they're not playing this weekend. I, I just I am I wrong to feel that way? Is that wrong? Um, Was that wrong? I guess I would just, I would say this, that I don't know what the the details of the rookie dinner are. Are they going to be in some banquet room somewhere, uh, you know, in the same space and and all that? Maybe it's going to be an outside event somewhere. Who knows? 
Maybe they're going to be mask wearing until they actually eat the food. I don't know. I wouldn't get too upset about it, but I'd want to know where the meal is. If I was Mike Tomlin, I'd want to know where the meal is and I'd want to know what the rules are going to be. Yeah, I agree with you completely. And I just, after what happened with the Raiders on Monday night, I'm not going to rule out anything. And my antenna are constantly up now because here's the thing. Tuesday morning, <laughs> the, ultimate, the ultimate jinx, Peter. Tuesday morning. One thing I said to Sims on this program, well, the good news is we've gotten through 48 games and COVID-19 isn't an issue. Congratulations, NFL. And then what happens? Titans-Steelers get postponed right after the show ends. This Raiders video comes out, and it just shows you, number one, how easy it is for an outbreak to happen, even with all these protocols, and number two, how stupid people still are about jeopardizing their ability to earn their football game checks. I've said this over and over again all week. You know, Derek Carr is going to lose $1.1 million a week if Raiders games aren't played, and he's out there at this event in a confined space with no mask, and and there's this, like, it's just, anyway, I, I'm, I'm looking and watching now for the next thing that there's the video that's potentially going to create an outbreak because that's where we are. With everything good the NFL has done, and it has been overwhelmingly good, the fact that there is a postponement this weekend of the Steelers-Titans game, presumably to be rescheduled week seven with Ravens-Steelers going to week eight and the Ravens taking their bye week seven and the Steelers and Titans having an unexpected bye this week, there's a way to fix it, but it's still very alarming because with everything they're doing, it still happened to the Titans. And if it keeps happening every few weeks, what's going to happen, Peter? We're going to get to a point where... We're not going to be able to make a game up. We're going to have teams that played 15 games. You're going to have an eight and seven team and a nine and seven team, or a nine and wait, a nine and six team. Let me get it right. A nine and six team getting into the playoffs over a nine and seven team because the nine and six team didn't have to play a 16 game that might have lost. I mean, Mike, those are the things I just sort of shake my head at, at those. And I'll tell you, and the reason I shake my head at them is I wrote this column back in May that you better get used to this being a really unfair season. Someone is going to get screwed, and screwed bad. I don't know who it is. I don't know what it'll be. But you just said exactly one of the ways that it could happen. And when that happens, you know, if a coach screams with outrage, I'm just going to say, listen, do you have any idea how fortunate you are to have gotten almost the entire season in in a year like this, when now it appears that the pandemic is coming back with a vengeance, you see what's happening in Wisconsin right now. You know, last night on NBC Nightly News, uh, they had a correspondent in Green Bay and the Green Bay Hospital, okay, is chock full of COVID patients, okay? The Monday night game is there this week. And I'm not saying they shouldn't have the game. I, 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 I don't mean that. What I mean is that this is happening in an NFL city, okay? And we got to get over this thing that says, oh my God, if, if somebody only plays 15 games, it's, a, it's some tremendous injustice. I, I'm going to just say, Mike, who cares? I don't care. Yeah, to, I mean, to, we, have to, we have to get used to the fact that the players and the coaches have it in their control. You have it in your control. And I'm not killing anybody in Tennessee. I have no idea how it happened. Could have been ridiculously accidental. I don't know. But however, it, and I'm not, they shouldn't get any discipline. They should, no, I'm just simply saying, these things will happen. It was a lot flukier in the first two weeks of the season that 2,460 players for a total of 15 testing days, nothing showed up than for one player in week three to be out, you know, in Atlanta, and now for a game to be postponed in week four. I, I'm just going to make this point, Mike. If that pattern continues, and once every four weeks there's one game postponed, and, and it happens four times this year, the NFL would have had a hell of a regular season. Yeah, I agree with you completely. And I, I have uh, text messages from a coach who was livid when the NFL was doing what was 
potentially perceived as victory laps in August about all the success with the testing because the concern is you're going to make people complacent. They're going to let their guard down. They're going to do stupid things like what we saw on Monday night from the Raiders. But, you know, I think back to the commissioner before the season when he refused to acknowledge that there's a competitive disadvantage for some teams having fans and some not having fans. He should have just said then, you ain't seen nothing yet. Because the, whether or not fans are present is 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 – minuscule in comparison to some of the inequities that may have to arise in order to get the games in. And Peter, I wrote this last night and, and you mentioned it with the Titans, you know, Mike Vrabel said it earlier this week. There's no one to blame. Well, I, I, you can argue there is someone to blame, whether it's, they haven't designed the protocols well enough to keep out the virus or people didn't execute the protocols well enough to keep out the virus. But the fact that the virus got in shows there's, you know, a, a, a defect somewhere. And so at what point, do you just take all the teams and create a hard bubble in each city and just tell them for the rest of the year, you're living at the hotel. And if I'm the NFL, I'm having those conversations right now with the NFLPA. So we have the opportunity to move quickly if we get to a point where it's like, yeah, what, you know what, we need to do this. We, 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 we need to implement the mini bubble protocol and send every player, every coach, every critical member of every team to a hotel, and they're staying there for the rest of the year, and that's the only way we're getting all the games in. I think it's an interesting concept, and if this, is, if, if this continues to happen, uh, I think it's very worth a discussion. I think it's worth a, a sort of a preemptive discussion right now. But I, I, I would also just make this point, Mike, that, that you know, there are a lot of people. I, I talked to one front office guy for a team this week who told me that he told his wife, he's got two children. He said, listen, I'm going to be around, but I'm going to be in the guest room because I can't be the one who he's got two kids. They're school age kids. And he says, I, I can't be the one who might <coughs> bring it to my team. I don't know what my kids are bringing home from school. I just can't trust it. And so he is already in sort of a self, uh, you know, a self-made bubble in his house. And again, that's not the same thing. I understand this. But I do think that teams ought to be given the chance right now to get this right on their own. And if they can't, I think it's definitely worth a discussion, as you say. And here's the thing. The margin for error is small here. We're fortunate that the Titans and the Steelers are going to be able to configure schedules and get this game in. Once teams start having their buys and the buys are gone, then you get to your concept of week 18, week 19. At some point, you just run out of time. By the way, we're out of time. We'll be back with more PFT Live. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 